0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Voxology podcast. Michael Erie, Timothy Stafford, missing you like today
1: halfway through your name, like you were unsure.
0: Well, I was, I, I, was I was deciding where I was going to go. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know if I was going to go middle or not, but I decided not to. There you go. Um, and w- who we're missing today is really the the co-host with the most, <laughs> and uh, that's Seth Thomas Charles Erie, who. Had a prior commitment, namely sixth grade, um, that has involved (laughs) him today, despite his best efforts to get out of it. Every day, Timothy, every single day, he comes home from school, he does his floppy, which is a sensory thing, for a couple of hours, and then he starts working me about why he can't go to school the next day. (laughs) So among the reasons he's given, he's in quarantine... His Mm -hmm. teacher's in quarantine. Yeah, his teacher told him not to come. Mm -hmm. He's going to work with me at Journey Church. He's going to work at Chick Fil A. Oh, he yep, he is he is sick. He has a fever, but he doesn't know how to pronounce that really well. So it took us a while to suss fever out. Yeah, and he wants to go to Zach's bees, which is Zach's bees. Yeah, I was
1: just gonna ask, did Chick Fil A re take the crown? No,
0: it's still, I mean, it's still, it's still neck and neck and, um, we're just all befuddled here in the (laughs) eerie household about how, how such a thing could happen. So anyway, Seth is missing. Yeah. We're not going to get him started on that one. Um, (laughs) although, um, the other morning, so he is fully in teenager mode i when i wake him up it is he throws things he slams doors <laughs> he threw up the f word used g- very appropriately by the way but <laughs> nevertheless got a reaction from dad on that one yeah um he will say you know dad leave me alone dad you drive me insane dad you're crazy dad you're a strange child um it's just it's amazing it is. It is. I was
1: listening. You know, for some reason, I'm the whatever. I can leave the history of this out of this. But I was listening to Chili Peppers yesterday while I was doing dishes, and the song Blood Sugar Sex Magic came on. And I've been listening to that record for you know thirty something years. So it and I, I most of the words I don't think about. And my son, who's ten, oh man, I was like, Dad, like, what is sex magic?
0: Right. <laughs> <was> like, You're <laughs> like, well. <laughs> well son it's just it's two words that he just randomly puts together yeah. it's just nothing yeah yeah that's, <laughs> that's yep
1: perfect thank you Anthony Kiedis for opening doors
0: yeah dude seriously I don't need no Florida bill I can just have Anthony Kiedis show up Amen. Um, I want to say thank you to our friend Michael who joined the Patreon team this week and so we're very grateful for your generosity and just a reminder, of course, we are crowdfunded, 501c3. Everything's tax deductible. If you go to patreon.com, type in Voxology Podcast, you can find us there. Or you can go to voxologypodcast.com, and there are a couple of giving options there if you choose uh, to support all of this craziness. Um, I, I wanted to—we we have a bit of a, of a hodgepodge episode where I was going to move hodgepodge. on. Hodgepodge. I was going to move on to a different word. Um, but th- there were just a couple of things that came up this week that I thought, hmm, Tim and I thought, hmm, maybe we should talk about these things. Um, last Sometimes week. Sometimes
1: you got to digest all the heavy food that you've been eating for the last couple of weeks.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And then just take a big shot of Metamucil. <laughs> and so
1: today's episode is brought to you by.
0: Yes, metamucinal. If you don't know what that is, fantastic. You're under 40. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but we, we've been talking about the missions uh, conversation. And uh, we got a really articulate email that we read from um, uh, an acquaintance slash friend of mine named Mike. And um, he'd said something in there that, that I read it and it didn't even, didn't even faze me. But afterwards, I, I was uh, on a walk. And I was thinking about this, and um, he had he had made a comment that said, "I'm not as deconstructed as you." And then he went on to talk about how he still believed in um, substitutionary atonement and kind of the reality of hell. And um, and and I've heard this from from people that that have had sort of questions about you know, the direction of where we're headed theologically and all those sorts of things. And, and I, I just, I don't know why, but I felt compelled. Uh, and whenever I get defensive about something, I've learned over the course of um, years to sort of just be inquisitive about that. Like, yeah. huh, what's, and so I felt defensive about that. Because what I, what I wanted to say is um, I'm not deconstructing in the way that you're thinking that I'm deconstructing right like um and, and i know we've talked about deconstruction ad nauseum so this isn't some huge comment but um i i just want to lay all the cards on the table like i've never been more committed to jesus i've never been more committed to the bible i've never come more been more committed to the reality of this organization slash organism we call the church <laughs> i've never been more <clears throat> committed to mission as defined as showing people and helping people to see the beauty of Jesus of Nazareth, so that so that they might be compelled in the same way I have been, yeah. Um, like all of those things, I do. I think substitutionary atonement in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, Jesus compared uh, his death. The, the 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 meal he used to point to his death was Passover. So absolutely, there's substitutionary language in the Bible. There's wrath language in the Bible. But I, I need to explain. I don't I don't know if I need to, but I, I want to explain <laughs> I want to. Um, how I approach this stuff. And and so in, in my uh, my graduate degree is in philosophy of religion, and in uh, philosophy there are different ways of reasoning, and uh, the 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 way of reasoning that um, m- makes the most intuitive sense um is is a way of reasoning called inference to the best explanation. So you take a bunch of data and you try on different ways of explaining that data and fitting it together and but it's all inference. it's not it's not straight deduction um, but it, but you know, it's not unreasonable either. And you sort of build a hypothesis that kind of holds the data together yeah. Um, and I have been compelled by that way of looking at things ever since I first understood what it was, uh, that that, what meant and was, um, and, and it's in a branch of philosophy called epistemology, which is how do we know things? And there are all sorts of ways of knowing. Um, but when I look at the Bible and I look at individual pieces of the Bible, and I realize that the previous understandings and contexts don't like leave a lot of those data points out, and they're not data points. This is all about a relationship, but I'm, if I can just use that yeah. kind of narrow image for a second of of computation, the idea is, um, yeah, wrath, it's in there and the, and sometimes it's called God's wrath or wrath of God, but then there are other times it's spoken of as a power or a reality outside that's impersonal. And so how do you put that data together? Hell, sure, hell's in there, lake of fire's in there, Last everlasting darkness in there. Um, And so are all sorts of images around death, destruction. There's some hints, um, or at least allusions to the idea that you know we'll, we, everything will be reconciled or renewed or put back together. So how do you put all of that data together? And just to simply say eternal conscious torment, that doesn't account for all the data. Um, as we say, it's just more complicated than that. Yeah. And, um, and so when we're exploring what, what it means to be saved, I don't mean to say that the other data points aren't legit or valid around the traditional understandings of what saved means. I'm just saying they don't include the broad swaths of other parts of the story that have to be included in whatever explanation you're looking to give. And so, um, for me, I do not see myself even remotely as deconstructing away from faith. And I'm not saying uh, my friend Mike meant this at all. Right. But that's how my defensive ears heard it. And I felt just compelled to say, listen, what we're trying to do on the podcast um, is make room for people who want to hold on to Jesus um, and recognize that there are are ways of, um, of talking about Jesus and understanding his work and his person that are neglected by the narrow band of evangelical understanding that that we've been handed yeah and so my daughter and she'll never listen to this so i can say (laughs) this and these are things i've told her my daughter um is 17 and she is incredibly justice-minded like social justice-minded as many in her generation are yeah um i mean more more than i mean her passion for this is um is crazy And she sits in religious context where that isn't valued. Yeah. Um, And it's thought to be antithetical to the work of the gospel. And so part of what I try to do is when we have Bible conversations, I'm just trying to show her that that passion that she has fits within the wider work of Jesus in the world. Yeah. Um, and and doesn't fit neatly into the very narrow confines of what was previously you know called the gospel. Yeah, and so I, I have no interest um, in participating in the grand cynicism of our culture. I am incredibly hopeful and incredibly passionate about Jesus, and think that there there is just truth here. And reality here. And that's why we spend so much time talking about it. I get where, because often we're critiquing, um, it comes across as if we're trying, we're throwing everything else out. That's not how I see it in my brain. I see it as hey, the traditional understanding carried some truth to it and accounted for some um, texts, but it just isn't big enough. And yeah. so I see myself as more committed to the Bible, more committed to discipleship, more committed to all the traditional words. But I think those words have to be rethought in light of the fruit that traditional understandings have been bearing. Yep. So, so that's the goal. Our goal isn't, we're not, we're not, I mean, one of our goals is safe to belong no matter where you are. So yes. we love that. We love that. But I also, I also wanted to be clear, one of our values is center-focused, and the center that we're focusing on is Jesus. Yeah. And when we're comparing, um, as, as we are products of our time, as, as we're comparing what was inherited um, with uh, Scripture and the parts of Scripture that weren't normally emphasized in the traditional telling— yeah. Oh, there's all this other stuff out there. And so inference to the best explanation says, well, then then we need to go for something bigger, a bigger yeah. bucket to understand this in. Get out of the gift shop. Exactly. Now let's go explore the national park. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted, I wanted just to take a moment so that people who are new to the podcast understand we're... Um, like we're not just trying to critique things. There are loads, lots of that happening. But we like we actually want people to reconstruct on something yeah. far healthier and more beautiful. Because we have. But the deconstruction I've undergone hasn't been away from the Bible or hasn't been away from, it's been church away from institutions. Or, well, yeah, yeah. Or it's institutional been, yeah. Yeah, institutional forms. Yeah. Um, the recognition that a lot of our, a lot of my Christianity was colored by being a white American. Yes. Um, m- a white male American. Yes. Um, st- white male straight American. Yes. Um, <laughs> white male middle-aged upper-class straight American. Yep, yep, yep. And, um And so all of these other voices in the body of Christ that are crying out uh, and recognizing there's been no, there's no room for them under that tent. It's been really good. It's been really good for me personally.
1: This is, I have found all of this to be much bigger than I originally knew it to be. And in which you've just kind of said this, but for me, like the more that we have kind of dug at things and the world has gotten bigger, and I mean the world as in like the world of faith and whatever. and And I can't understand how that could be a negative thing. Like just like, yeah, I am picking apart some of the really tightly- focused things that I've found were only like a sliver of the larger picture. I didn't throw the sliver out. The sliver just had a bigger place and a bigger yeah. piece of wood. That,
0: and, and and when you put it back in the larger piece of wood, it takes on different different yeah. shape or different. And perhaps uh, it doesn't
1: agitate your skin the way a sliver does anymore too. Oh, but I was thinking go. about it in regards of soccer too. Like we, When you're clinging to just one simple thing and you're missing the larger picture, it's like, you're just focusing on how to tie your shoes, but understanding why you tie your shoes the way you do in a soccer game affects the way that you kick the ball and how your laces get caught up on things. And then it's like, but then you also just focus on not kicking with your toes and making that the focal point. But even that has larger implications as to why and where you kick the ball and why. It's like, if you just show right. up and play soccer and you're just like, hey, soccer is ball goal, you're likely gonna lose the game because you're not there's just so much more involved with how you organize tactics even down to shoelaces and yeah, like it's just, there's just so much more and it is so big and beautiful and intricate and kind of cool when you get all the pieces involved in it. But just focusing on one little thing, you miss the whole game. And that's how I feel like I was missing the whole game for years. Mm. So it's not, I'm not trying to quit soccer. Yeah. Or damn soccer. I just want to play soccer correctly and see it for the whole field and everything that it is. Boom. And it being a team game and not just being me trying to score all the goals.
0: Dude, look at you. You <laughs> man. You it's like metaphor is the canvas on which you paint. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. There it is. So anyway, we just wanted to say that. And just again, kind of- no and this. None of this was implied by the previous email, not at all. But there but, is a but, lot
1: of like pushback on the idea of deconstruction as if it's just like I'm going to throw all of this away because I don't like I don't like yeah.
0: it. Yeah, and some people and and some people do that.
1: That's fine, but I think a lot of people don't. And yes. And that's a good, who weird are talking space to. for them. Yes, I'm one of them.
0: <laughs> just to be clear. There, there was a a tweet, and, and good lord, Timothy. We all have better things to do than to respond to tweets. Yeah, and I and normally, I mean, I hardly tweet anymore. I just don't even you know the medium just doesn't seem super healthy for the soul. It is I learn a lot, but I don't feel compelled to tweet a lot. Yeah. Um. But but I thought this this tied into kind of the saved conversation so beautifully that I, I wanted to just regard it for a second. So somebody who um, has pastor in their name um, said, "You should not tell an unbeliever, God loves you. The apostles never shared the gospel this way. The Bible says God's wrath is upon unbelievers, John uh, 3.36, Romans 1.18. Help them see their sin, warn them of the judgment of God, and then give them the gospel. Now, what's fascinating, um, I, had, I, had to, I had to go to the ER in the middle of the night for nothing at all serious. Um, but but um, I found myself alone in the ER and I was I was surrounded by Bible tracks, and it's been a while. It's been a good while since I've seen the Bible tracks. And one of them, um, you know, was like how to conquer fear. Your fear of dying was yeah. the was was the thing in an ER, right? So so strategically placed, and uh, and so I picked it up and read it, and it was exactly this approach. It was the listen. Um, You know, if you've ever, um, uh, you know, lusted, you are an adulterer. If you've ever been angry, you're as guilty as a murderer. And so how would you do standing before God's, you know, sort of legal tribunal? Terrible. Uh, Yeah. And uh, but good news. uh, Jesus has taken that, you know, punishment on himself. And, And, you know, then we get into all of that. And, and it, it, this tweet reminded me of that approach. And so I just want to, and, and, and this is a very common approach in certain sectors of Christianity. So I wanted to just take a moment to speak to it um, with gentleness and respect to somebody who's, you know, wanting to see people come to Jesus. But um, I Does just think, though? well, <laughs> I think there's a lot that's wrong um, shockingly, about this tweet. Uh, and, and so let's just sort of, <coughs> let's explore it a little bit in the context of all the material we've been covering for the last bunch of episodes. So you should never tell an unbeliever God loves you. Um, evidently, that might give them sort of a false picture of what God is like. Uh, the apostles never shared the gospel this way the Bible says God's wrath is upon unbelievers. Help them see their sin warn them of judgment of God and give them the gospel. So um, just, a, just a couple of thoughts. First of all, um, uh, the, the, the Bible itself really contradicts so much of what uh, this uh, person is saying here. The the Bible doesn't start in Genesis. I mean, and this is obvious, but it doesn't start in Genesis 3. It starts in Genesis 1. And the salvation story doesn't start with Jesus. The salvation story starts in Genesis 1. Jesus doesn't drop into nowhere or into human history from nowhere. He comes as the bearer of and the fulfillment of this incredible story that begins with the declaration that it is good. And that human beings were very good um and so so you've already you're already emphasizing the wrong thing by starting uh with the idea that god um um is his primary orientation towards us as unbelievers is wrath yeah but then you have individual passages about god wanting people to be saved for god so loved the world and the world here again. We've talked about the three meanings of world. The world here means the the human population. It doesn't mean the created order, nor does it mean the organized system of of you know sin, death, and flesh that stands in op- opposition to God. The world here means the human population, yeah. and and instant and immediately after. Um, it says this: It says the Son did not come into the world to judge it, um, but to save it. And yes, John three does end with, for people who, well, let me get the, let me get the um, specific quote: It's uh, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains um, on them. And that totally fits in the context um of the idea that you know whoever believes in God shall not perish but have eternal life but then it says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to um save the world through him and then you've got first john which is uh you know the, the idea that God is love uh never does it say that God is wrath um and, and you have all <laughs> you have the practice of Jesus with unbelievers um, who were would have been construed as enemies of God. Here they're welcomed to the table. Um, it's the Pharisees that are rebuked and warned of wrath, not the unbelievers. You have the preaching of Paul when he stands before the Greeks. Um, he does say judgment is coming, absolutely, but he places it in the context, not of wrath, but accountability. Now what you've been ignorant of, now you're aware of. Um, is the idea behind his concept of judgment there. And the, when you look at the apostolic preaching, the, the, the words love and wrath are are neither in there. None of, none of those words are in there. It's about when Paul's speaking to Jews, he doesn't start from a position of love. That's already assumed. Israel was God's chosen people. He's coming now declaring that Jesus is the Christ using the Jewish backstory uh, as color in order to show in contrast um, how Jesus has fulfilled and surprised the Old Testament story. Um, and so, so I, I just I couldn't, I, I just can't. And then the passages he's using, John 3:36 and Romans 1, in John 3:36, um, uh, this, is, this is in the context of a conversation with Nicodemus which is already contradicted. That flat understanding is already contradicted by the announcement of God's love to people. And then he, he quotes Romans one eighteen, which as Gamba shows, God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That is part of a polemic that um, Paul is using in Romans 1 to flip back on the judges in Romans 2 and is, not, is very common to other forms of Jewish literature at the time. And, um, and literally, is um, the, the goal of reading that was to arouse and incite the judgmentalism of the Gentile population who were, who were assuming that, that their pretending at Jewish identity somehow made them immune from this general story and, um, and led them to judge other Gentile believers, saying, Well, that's true of you, but not of us. Yeah. Paul takes that whole thing flips it and says, um, no, 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 whatever you, on whatever point you judge them, um, you're judging yourselves. And so it's this, it's, so, so it's, it's poor theology when you look at the Bible as narrative, it's poor theology when it's contradicted directly by other passages. And it's poor theology in the sense that when you look at how the biblical author's told I me, mean, just read the speeches in Acts. And none of them start with, um, hey, guys, God hates you. Seriously? Now, like Stephen starts by talking about, um, and he doesn't start there, but he talks about how the Jews have been stubborn. But that's a speech given to believers, right. not to unbelievers, right? In in that sense of the word. And so they're preaching to the Jew, was different than the preaching to the Gentile. And nowhere in preaching to the Gentiles do we get any sense of God hates you being the primary motivation to belief. Yeah. Um, rather, you get the declaration of Jesus as Messiah. And, and yes, judgment, yes. Um, but judgment in the Jewish uh, tradition is good news. It's when justice is done on the earth and when truth will show every lie and every piece of hypocrisy for what it is. Um, and so this, this thing that says we can only frame the gospel in terms of guilt and punishment, man, it just, this is somebody who just hasn't read Paul. Paul uses adoption. He uses redemption. Yes, he does use justification, but even our modern legal concept of justification isn't actually what Paul's teaching there. He's talking about something much broader and richer than just somebody declaring me not guilty. Yeah. Um so I just think what what a what an awful way to present Jesus cuz Jesus doesn't start there. The kingdom I mean if you're going to go with the preaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Awesome. Um that was good news. It didn't start with hey man, God's pissed.
1: <laughs> repent and believe the bad news.
0: Yes. So <clears throat> any anyway i i just like i get fired up about it because um is is it an approach that you could use and that you could piece together verses from the bible sure
1: yeah piecing together verses but not taking an entire narrative
0: yeah i don't think it reflects the narrative i don't so, at all yeah so anyway i just i i wanted to just say okay um we, there is, as evidenced by my emergency room uh, pamphlet, and there is, this is a very common way of sharing the gospel, but it's not the gospel that Jesus was sharing.
1: But it's the only, it's the way our feeble brains like to like parse out and our like compartmentalize information. Like we really like judicial language that's like crime, yeah. punishment, punishment, that's right, debt, you know, pay, like, yeah, we, and so cramming all this into them and find the verses because I found I texted you yesterday. I found the fake million dollar bill on my campus that <laughs> you know, you flip it over and it's got the story. that story. it has that right. story from that tweet on the back. It's just like you, you know, all this crazy stuff using a, a couple of verses from different places to kind of piece together this a really you know, convicting message right. about how much you suck. Right. and how much you need or don't deserve blah 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 but our brains are like yeah i get that like yeah, i understand totally. debt i understand crime and punishment right. so i don't want to go to jail
0: right Give me and that's the... i think and that's why for years and years and years that's been a very popular way but of... this is
1: why we quote unquote deconstruct this is why we quote unquote are looking for the larger picture because that's not the right picture and it no, is it's using not. scripture to no, it's to not. build it. So nope. it's
0: like, it's not. Nope. It's, you know, <laughs> and, and the problem, I mean, now, now on the, on the one hand, Jesus can use um me. So he can use anything. <laughs> um, let's absolutely. not purposefully
1: try to tie his hands behind his back to see how,
0: well, it's just where can this can be. Where, where that gospel leads you, because it doesn't lead you naturally to joyful discipleship. It leads you to sin management. Yes. That gospel does not lead you to understanding that Jesus wants to teach you to be fully human. The idea is he's only dealing with what happens after you die. Um, it's it's the idea that God's predominant posture towards us, despite Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, is one of anger and wrath rather than what you know the prodigal father of Luke rather than 15. bending
1: down and writing in the dirt,
0: hmm. right, right. And 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 I'm not. I mean, like we said, wrath is real. And should we talk about it? Yes. Um, but how we talk about it, and where we talk about it, and how much we emphasize it, man, I think that just all needs to be rethought. Um, Jesus never. Um, preach to someone outside of the religious leadership using fear as motivation, right? And that has been our primary motivation. Totes, totes I mean, goats. Totes for goats. This email is the reason we're doing a whole episode of the mishmash. Um, because this was just devastating and I, and it, 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 provoked so much thought. It said, Mike, a friend of mine is dying of cancer and has just gone into hospice. I'll be meeting with her soon. That this is even happening is shocking and crushing. Yeah, life ends, but, uh, taking that from a future hypothetical to an immediate reality is stunning. My friend is posed to enter eternity. So what is the good news, i.e. the gospel that can be shared? I've always heard that with scripture, the main things are the main things. So why would arguably the single most important element in scripture require six podcasts and heavy lifting from multiple PhDs to cover? If you were in my place, what words and actions would you offer my friend? And then P.S. This is not meant at all to be strident or accusatory. I'm honestly hurting and confused on the issue and need help and oh my goodness first of all i mean this this takes it all out of the wonderfully hypothetical totally. and theoretical stuff to really well what do you say when so i i don't i i i so validate the question and um and cannot imagine well i mean i can't imagine i've had this happen where one phone call changes the trajectory of everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just unbearably brutal. Um, so, but, I, but I, wanted, I, I wanted to answer the question and then question the question. And, um, and then kind of see where we end up. On the one hand, um, I've, I, I think that the Bible is simple enough that the basic outline can be understood by a child. Um, on the other hand, I think the Bible and its message is so thought-provoking, mysterious, and deep that you can spend your whole life talking about it uh, and never come to the bottom. And so I am. Um, it doesn't surprise me. In fact, it encourages me that lots of PhDs and six podcasts aren't even enough to explore the national park that is God's work in Jesus for us and the world. Um, so I don't, I'm not surprised because the Bible is so multi-layered and gives us so many lenses through which to look at this that I, I think it's beautiful that it takes this much. To your point, however, um, can or should it be boiled down? And my answer is, well, let's take marriage. And this is one of my favorite analogies. Let's take marriage. If if you were sitting next to somebody and they said, hey, how do I become married? Um, Or what is marriage? Let's take both of those questions. Um, It makes sense that you could give a five-second answer to that. Well, a marriage is when you stand in front of somebody in authority and you say these words to each other and pledge your lives to each other forever. There's your five-second answer. Uh, and is that true? Yeah, absolutely. But does that at all describe the reality of what it is to be married? Well, not even remotely. I mean, how, the, the people who've been married 50 years still talk about the mystery of it all. So how is it that a relationship of give and take that is just between two sinful humans requires years and years and years to explain. Um, and yet we can describe it in five seconds. And so I just wanna, I want to question the question saying this the, the need that we have for it to be boiled down is a uniquely American phenomenon. Mm the the there are parts of the bible that are boiled down absolutely for god so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life great but as we've seen those words need to be explained and so you can give a five second answer but then you're sitting in and i've I've done sermon series going word by word through john 3 16 for (laughs) god so loved the world he gave his son Whosoever believes, not perish, but have life, all of those things need explained. Yeah. Um, and so I, I get and, and so unbelievably sympathize with the pastoral need to have something to say in this circumstance. And, and I, I want to answer the question, but I also want to say, whatever five, whatever quick answer we give, the five-second answer. Um, cannot do justice at all to the reality, can only open people up to the possibility that there's more.
1: Yeah. And I don't the doubt goal, it would be, even be a salve to that situation either. Like
0: well, it could be. Maybe because but... and I love I love he says, What what words and actions would you offer my friend? So I love that you put those two together because kind of zooming in with somebody who's dying with good news. Um, can often feel not good newsy to the people on the other end of that. Right. Um, so, if I were, if I had to kind of summarize some of this, and this is just off the top of my head, I don't, you know, I, I didn't like plan some pithy statement. So, if I were sitting next to somebody who was dying of cancer, and it, and it, and it depended on the relationship um and they said okay so what does it mean to to be a christian um i would approach it the same way i would approach answering the question what does it mean to be married i would say to be christian is to believe that god acted decisively in christ to renew the world there's my one sentence but i can spend all day talking about what that is right right well, why did the world need renewing? Well, yeah. because because it's tainted, evil and sin and death have invaded the world and they're enemies to us. And you know, it's an enemy to us cuz you're sitting here withering away knowing that this isn't how it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I mean it implied in that one sentence is the idea right. that um That the fall has happened, which implies that there was some sort of creation prior to that, which also directs people to incarnation, that Christ isn't a way to God. Christ is God in human flesh. So you don't have to wonder. And then this God is continuing the project, but we can just say for, you know, Sussignus launching the new creation project to renew everything. Yeah. And that that, that you and I get a chance to be a part of that. So that's one way. One way I could say it. Another way you could say it would be the fourfold play: creation, fall, redemption, restoration. <coughs> so this, instead of my five-second pitch, this might be my five-minute pitch. Um, that that God is real, and God created the world. The world is not God. God is separate from the world. But God created the world and declared it to be very good. He he loaded the world with all sorts of potential. And that human beings were created, the Bible uses the word uh, or the phrase image bearer, to be small representations of God's goodness and intelligence to bring forth all the potential of human life for the flourishing of everyone. And instead, um, our earliest parents um, decided that that role wasn't the role they wanted. They'd rather do it for themselves. And so they created um, um, a different picture of what human life would be like, a picture where you know humans look out for themselves, a, pi- a picture where there's violence and scarcity, uh, uh, jealousy, envy. Um, it's the picture that we inhabit now. We all know that something is really wrong with the world, right? I mean, no one has to tell us this. And we also know that I'm just not... Um, a victim of what's wrong with the world, but I also contribute to it. Hmm. Um, And and that God found this situation not to be one that he ran away from, but instead um, visited in fully human form the planet to live all of the ugliness of human life so that that picture of human life could be put to death. And in its place in Jesus, a new kind of human life was birth. His resurrection was vindication of that way of human life. But for Jesus, it was the picture that human life doesn't have to depend on envy, malice, rage, scarcity. There's a way to be human with God kind of at the center of the picture. And that way of, of being human is the true way of being human. And, and that, that what was launched in Jesus is a project that renews the whole world, and that we, for those of us who give allegiance to Him, um, we get to be a part of that work now. And so we're the the community, the church of people who are practicing what it is to be new creation right in the middle of this present world and all of its ugly. You know, maybe that's my five minute um, explanation. <laughs> um, you know, and if I had if I had more time. I'd go into, uh, I would probably tell the image-bearing story. Um, God, God created. And God created as a king in, in, in ancient Near Eastern temples. Uh, there were statues that represented the, the presence and authority and sovereignty of the king. And that same language is used about human beings. That like there's this cosmic temple called all creation. And, and there is a, a cosmic king called God who creates human beings to reflect God's goodness into creation and to bring about its flourishing. But that image has been defaced and marred, and so instead of imaging the, the true, good, and beautiful God, we now image all sorts of things, whether it's greed or lust or anger or war or violence. And that Jesus came as God in human flesh to show us what a true and full human looked like, the, the renewal of the image. And then the invitation, of course, is for us to take on that image um, as his followers. I mean, and, and all of this could be much better. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. But there are loads of words and ways that you could tell the story. The the So, so if I were sitting with someone who had no awareness of Christian themes, I would do the creation, fall, redemption, restoration one. Um, to me, right after Easter... The, the one sentence of, um, you know, God has launched his new creation project in Christ towards the renewal of everything. Like, yeah. oh my goodness. You know, so my friend, uh, none of this has to have the last word over you. It's unfair. It's not right. It's awful. It's evil. And all that you feel about that is your image bearingness, recognizing that this is an enemy. Cancer is not a natural part of the world, it is, it is an invader. And um, for those of us who give allegiance to this Jesus and and live into that story, the the picture is that death is one more enemy to be conquered and that there's a whole new mode of life on the other side of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if, if this is helpful at all or it's dumb. Um, I'm going to rethink about you know, the stuff I've said and go, oh, should have said that, should have said that. <laughs> what actions would I offer my friend? Well, they, these are far more important. Yeah. Um, The, the action of uh, presence. Yes. We've talked about sitting Shiva, mm-hmm. um, where uh, in Jesus's day, uh, mourners would come to a person's house who had suffered loss and just sit. Yeah. They would do... The housework, arrange the food, but they weren't there to give easy answers. They were there to be present. Yeah. Um. So the temptation, and and I'm not saying you're at all saying this, but the temptation to give cliches in those moments is almost overwhelming, and yeah. so we have to resist the urge to talk all the time or to offer hope, unless it's um unless it's asked for. And so presence, it would be one, uh, the hospitality of receiving someone as they are. Yep. So in all of their complaining, if any, if on, in all their sickness and all their bodily stuff, the the reception and not being disgusted or turned away by any of that, but the full reception of them as they are in that moment, whether it's pretty or ugly or both. Um the the posture of listening and just asking questions, yep, um, and 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 rarely giving, unless asked for directly, rarely giving answers, yeah. Um, and then I think the posture of lament, yep. The, God, this is unfair. God, this isn't right. God, why is this happening? I think I think those are the postures that I've learned anyway. Yeah, to sit with um, in grief and and don't you know you want to be a presence where the person doesn't have to comfort you yes and and that having gone through some grief the most exhausting thing about it is comforting other people um <laughs> and and it's all well intentioned yeah absolutely but you want to be the kind of person that sits with another person that doesn't require them to comfort you yes um and you know Anyway, do you want to add any anything to that?
1: No, that's what I. What you just said was what I was going to say. I don't know that I have a, what or would even try to articulate a message in that. I would just go and sit, and you know, do everything you just said. Sit, cry, laugh, listen. Um. You know, just dignify her humanity within that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my lord. We'll all be at that place at some point.
1: That's the thing. That's Death is such a weird, we just can't, I mean, and I'm saying this personally, like I it's a, such a difficult thing for me to wrestle with and reconcile still. Mm. like, And at the same time, it's the one thing that we, <laughs> it's the one inevitability for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just this conundrum of, and I, I, and I don't mean a conundrum in like I don't understand. It. I understand the complexity of why it's confusing or daunting or all that stuff. Like I fully understand the breadth of that. But at the same time, it's like it's just interesting that that's the one thing that we just can't, most people can't reconcile or can't like sit with. Mm-hmm. So Yep. I don't know. That's a terrible, I mean, this is, I don't think there's a right answer. I, mean, I think what you just said, like not trying to posture yourself. So it's not about you. That's about, her. is, is kind of the key.
0: Yeah.
1: And to, to answer his question, um, if, you know, if she did ask me, I would tell her that I love her and I would tell her that I personally believe that she will be made whole, that she'll be made new, uh, that Jesus is the first fruits of that new creation. And you know, that the poisons of this world had its way, but you know, that I believe she will be made whole. Um I have hope in that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean I've sat with friends Yeah. Who, you know, whenever I would see them, it, it literally looks like you could pick them up with two fingers. And it's yeah. it's it is horrific. Yeah. But you kinda have to grieve on your own time. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, but you, and uh, yeah. yeah. You, and, and you don't just do false hopefulness either. No. There's this weird line where, man, you're living in the truth of what this is. Yes. You know? Oh, so, so, my dear um, emailer, uh, to wrap it up, I would tell a story. If somebody said, what's the gospel? I would tell a story. And um, the point of that story is to um, point to Jesus as the way in which and the person through whom God's commitment to the world is seen and implied in that is God's commitment to you. Um and i would frame the response to that good news not as you know mental agreement we're going to talk about this probably next episode but as embodied allegiance and hmm. if you say well, what does embodied allegiance look like i go back to marriage um two people can be legally married and living in separate houses have no contact or be <laughs> malicious with each other yeah um, or two people can be married, and the reality of that relationship is is always and forever reforming and shaping them into new people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, whatever we, whatever story we want to tell, we want to leave room for that for for the fact that that the story isn't an end; it's a beginning. Right. The wedding day isn't the end. right right and so often the the pray the prayer is is seen as the end of it yep and we just want to say no no then now we live into that entirely new identity so praying if somebody wanted to pray with me absolutely i would i would pray with them but i would immediately then say all right so what have we just signed up for you know and 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 i guess we'll end with this i just i want to say so much um It's okay to get all of this wrong because evidently you can be mocking Jesus and then an hour or two later, look at him and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom and be okay. Yeah. And so it's a lot of words, but I just don't want you to be dismayed that six podcasts and tons of PhDs, I'm delighted it takes that much. Yeah. It should. If we're really if this is a national park and not just the lobby we're talking about. But I do think the Bible does use summary statements and, and the Jesus one is the 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 most um important. You know? The time has come, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is come near. That's a summary sentence. And so I don't I don't have a problem with summary sentences as long as they're not offered as Anything more than the gift shop to the national park. <laughs> heavy, heavy stuff. All right. So um, another email, which is awesome. Um, a couple of thoughts about uh, a good, good missions experience. Um. And about how it can be done well, which we love. And then a couple of questions. One on the image series and then one on Easter. So now on to the image series. I'm on the tail end of my own defragmentation journey of faith. And for those of you who are of a certain age, you remember when you would have to defrag your disks, um, uh, your computer disks. Do you remember this, Timothy? Yeah, Defrag. Defrag. Um, he said, I'm on the tail end of my own defragmentation journey of faith. I don't like the term deconstruction because for many it involves an abandoning of their faith and then hopefully refinding it. I've always held on to the core of my faith, but I've just questioned many of the secondary things I've been taught. Uh, I love What I love about the series is that it confirms and expands on many of the things I've wrestled with, that the Christian faith is more than just an insurance policy and that the Christian life is more than just sin management. Uh, But to be honest, this series is also a lot to process in my drive to and from work. Yes, and and it's going to get worse. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I know you are already giving a broad stroke telling of it all, but I wonder if it can be boiled down even further to a Romans road style message of the gospel just as a skeleton to hang the rest on. Yes, what a great question. And I hope we just did that or at least started it. I can give it more thought if any of that was deficient. Any chance of you guys putting something like that together? Well, dear emailer, <laughs> we just, or I, I don't know what Tim would do. I just gave it my best shot. Mm-hmm. Tim, what would you do?
1: To boil that down? I don't know. That's, that question has kind of come in a few times in the last yeah. month or two, and I don't know that I have a, you know, I just went through this process with trying to teach on Easter and like how do mm-hmm. I boil this down? yep and what do I want to say with this? and even with the last conversation about the friend that's dying, it's like I'm really compelled by this idea of renewal and and what that means, and I think that I would try to have a conversation in there, but it'd yep. always be a conversation i just don't I don't see the point in lecturing or preaching at people. I just see engaging in conversations with people and I don't know if I'm good enough to articulate, obviously, I'm the one that rambles. I don't know if I'm good enough to articulate something so big in a really truncated version because I think a lot of it has to be embodied and shown and lived together. And so I would maybe invite somebody into a longer conversation that
0: has a lot of flesh and blood and, you know, that kind of stuff in it. Holding. this is Nate FaceTiming me. Hey, buddy, we're podcasting. You want to say hi to the internet?
1: Okay, here we go. Sorry, I connected to my car. Yeah, of Yo,
0: course. Yo,
1: internet, what's up? It's your favorite. <laughs> I've got to play my theme song in this edit.
0: What's up, everybody? You know what time it is. It's Nate. Play my theme song. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hope you guys are well. What, what, you guys, what are you doing, boy? Hope you guys are flourishing. You gotta oh! Go listen to Big Red Star. That's his mm, car. Look at
1: that. I'm about to go. I'm about to go interview someone because I'm a boss. Whoa!
0: <laughs> I got promoted. Whoa! Within a month of me working at this like huge company, so <laughs> I'm a beast. Yeah, you are. <laughs> hey, hey, let me call you back in a little bit. All right? Yeah, sounds good. Bye, Internet. Love you guys. Uh, have a good day. Love Bye. you love you <laughs> <laughs> sorry and you guys got a lot of personality in your family oh my lord i can't even it's pretty great I, well, <laughs> well so do you but it's just not as internationally known we got a little taste little taste of mazzy <laughs> yeah. um yes so it, so yes so i can give this more thought for sure but I, I thought it was such a wonderful question. Um, and, and I, I guess I, I'm, there's part of me, though, that's like, d- do we want a Romans road style set of things? I don't know. Will you know. clarify
1: that for people that maybe don't oh, understand what that means? Yes.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. One of the very popular ways of summarizing the message of Jesus is by picking out, I don't know, I think it's five passages from Romans that kind of talk about like one of the passages we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another passage is of um, uh, the wages of sin is death. Another passage is, uh, but the but the free gift of God is eternal life. Um, another passage is if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart um, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I think. Uh, but it's it's a series of sort of texts strung together to point to the kind of traditional salvation story of debt, Jesus payment, my forgiveness, um, and going to heaven, kind of having eternal life when I die. So, so I don't, uh, again, I mean, if I were to, like, if I, if someone asked me, okay, so how did you and your wife meet? The last thing I would ever do is give a set of propositions, you know what i would do instead is tell a story yeah and i just think the gospel needs to be reconfigured along story lines so that it's not a roman's road presentation but it's a story um and um so i like i mean the the skeleton for me is creation fall redemption restoration um or creation fall redemption recreation if if you like that better but anyway great question uh, and then he asks one final question. I was talking to a good friend of mine on Good Friday, and he posed, he posed an interesting question that I think is being answered by your current series, but again, a simplified version might help to answer it more concisely. Indeed, we both attend UMCs, which I guess are United Methodist Churches, so we follow the liturgical calendar, including Lent, awesome. His question was, what's so great about Easter that it warrants 40 days of fasting and reflection? <laughs> if Easter is just an in-your-face to sit in Satan, then it seems rather anticlimactic after 40 days of Lent. Like I said, I think you guys are answering this to your current series, but I was hoping to get your thoughts. And then, and then he says, and this is a sentiment echoed by many. <laughs> a day I get to hear Seth on the podcast is always a good day. It's true. It is very true. Um, okay, this is great. So the liturgical calendar is a set of predetermined readings that correspond to the Christian year. So the new year for Christians begins um, in Advent with the preparation for the coming of Christ. And then um, you go through Epiphany. And then I think there's Lent, um, Easter, and then tide, going to Pentecost. And then you have Ordinary Time. I'm not sure if that's right or not because I've really... This is outside of my experience um, dramatically. But the question super interesting. Is Easter just an in-your-face Satan sort of moment? Right. And why would you fast? Well, just as a reminder, there's no command that you have to fast 40 days in preparation for Easter. In fact, for those of us that meet on Sundays, the reason we meet on Sunday, was it was the day that Jesus was resurrected, the first day of the Jewish week. So we're, in a sense, already celebrating resurrection by praying to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, right? The assumption in all of that is that he is most definitely still alive.
1: Yeah.
0: So there's no, there's no command to, but people find these practices very formative. Um, so let's, let's say they're worthy practices for our formation. How is Lent then attached to Easter? Now, I don't know the liturgical answer to that. But if I were going to answer from kind of what we've been looking at in the series, I would simply say this: um, I don't want to conflate Easter and Good Friday. Um, often we sort of see it as one weekend and one event, um, but it's they're very different. They have very different focuses, I think, in the Gospels and the New Testament. Um, and I've always thought, you know, that Good Friday was the weightier. Thing And that Easter was supposedly the joy, you know, that Jesus has conquered death. And so like to use a football analogy, Easter was the, or Good Friday was the touchdown. And then Easter Sunday was the extra point. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I want to really reconfigure that. So if I were talking to your friend, I would say this. Um, and we talked about this last episode. The, the, the Jews of Jesus's day configured history into two epochs, two eras this present age, and the age to come. And it, the thought, as we talked about, the, would be the transition from one to the other would be a single cataclysmic event called the Day of the Lord. And then it would be followed by resurrection, pouring out of the Spirit, a community among and through whom God dwelt, you know, so on, so and so on. Um, so the way I've come to see Good Friday is I see Good Friday as the device, de- decisive defeat of the old age as it's done its worst in Jesus and exhausted all that it can do to somebody um, who was who was the perfect image, the perfect human. So that this was the most unjust suffering in the history of the planet. Um, but but all of of wrath and sin, death, power the principalities, all of that was was gathered around Jesus and, um, and it destroyed him. Like he took death into his very self. So I see Good Friday as the defeat of the old age. There, and the reason I see Easter as more than an extra point is that Easter is the launch of the new age. And it was confusing because the new age was launched right in the middle of the old age. So Easter... The the good news for me of Easter is it is the launch of the new creation age and the guarantee that it's coming. So Paul will say the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of what will happen to everybody, which is and it's the idea that what happened to Jesus will happen to the to the universe, right? This is new creation launching. So the denial of self um, for 40 days seems to me, in the same way that Christmas builds anticipation, seems to me to be um, a a reflection on the curses of the old age. Um, Lack, scarcity, suffering, injustice, hunger, thirst, um, so that upon Good Friday, that 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 whole mode of human life is decisively defeated. And then the joy of Easter Sunday is a new mode of life launched. And this isn't technically speaking, because, you know, as Jesus was living, he was introducing a a new mode of life too. But um, that mode of life then is characterized by celebration and by um, new community dynamics and new ways of understanding how it is that we relate to people and enemies and the redefinition of hospitality around neighborliness and the idea that neighborliness is to be given to everybody instead of just those who are like me. And so um, if the old age is defined by suffering and lack and injustice, the new age is defined by plenty and hope and joy. And so we're practicing, we're reenacting that process through lent and then easter celebrations um and and in some understandings i would imagine that there's a a sense a small sense of death to self um as i go through lent as well that i'm dying to pieces of humanity that i've deemed normal and needed and there's a resurrection of a new kind of habit or relationship towards that thing um when I re-engage it at Easter after 40 days of denial. So I don't know. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I spent a lot of time avoiding things like liturgy because uh, it all felt <laughs> rhetorical <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, I think I, as somebody who has been a non-denominational guy, there are some right. really attractive parts to it. Well, I think I'm,
1: I'm at a place in life now where I see the place that liturgy and history and kind of partnering in some of that stuff Makes sense to me it didn't forever because it felt um i don't like doing things for the purpose of routine or for the purpose of like nostalgia or whatever right, like that's right, just not right. in my personality so i would see some of that stuff and i would be like well, we're doing like do you even know what you're saying right now do you know why you're right. saying it um you know very cynical as i can be you know i'm coming into a time period where i'm opening or awakening to um all of that having a place and a role in my faith and my understanding and my lineage. Yeah. I think this whole weekend is fascinating. The whole, like the tandem of Friday and Sunday, I think is really interesting. And, you know, just spending so much time exploring it in the last couple of weeks and what it means to partner in like just the victim, like the, just the role that violence plays mm. in the story, and how we shouldn't, or how we just really need to be intentional about um, seeing and helping and coming alongside victims of violence. <sighs> violence in our world, too, that mm. God now understands, and not losing mm. Friday in Sunday, but also that it is about Sunday. <laughs> That this is a resurrection story. And last year I taught on Saturday, and I think Silent Saturday is fascinating. I think that's where we are in a lot of ways. Like, I was trying to picture the disciples on Friday night when Jesus dies, and they're like, (laughs) oh crap. And then, like, did they go to bed that night? Did they they run around scared and whatever? Like, is your anxiety and adrenaline so high you can't go to bed? And then you wake up on Saturday or find yourself on Saturday, and Jesus doesn't show up. And you're like, oh, no. And you're in this long point of silence waiting to hear and waiting to see, trusting in what Jesus had said, but not seeing him directly. And then you see what Sunday, how when Jesus does rise, the people that do reflect instantly on him, the ones that don't. It's just, I just the whole thing is a complex, yeah. nuanced human right human story that i just i think is so compelling and so interesting but i think there's so much more to it than he died he rose
0: congratulations (laughs) all right so this last one is an extended critique of uh the last episode we did and so i'm just gonna read this and um the the reason we do this is we we are very much wanting to learn and to grow and part of that process is always admitting you could be dead wrong about stuff and um so we're not we we're just fine with people saying um you guys are idiots this is not what this person is saying but they raised some points and i I wanted to read it um uh i have been listening to your series on the word saved i have a few comments first One of the things that does not come across is that the saints are truly changed by their encounter with Christ in salvation. We experience a new birth from above, contrary to Mike's comment that we are still sinners, nowhere does the New Testament refer to saints as sinners. You may counter that Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, but when you look at the context, he refers to his past persecution of Christ, never his current state of being. We have been washed, sanctified, and justified, 1 Corinthians 6. The idea that we are simultaneously um, saints and sinners is deeply ingrained in the church, but it is a paradigm that must be re-examined. The church focuses so much more on being sinners than on being righteous in Christ. Um, um, And we need to rethink that, is the idea. Uh, So first critique. Second critique, Mike stated... That's why Paul will say things like, your old self is dead, so kill it. I don't see this terminology in regard to the old self in the New Testament. Our old self was crucified with Christ, Romans 6. We have clothed ourselves with Christ by being baptized into him, Galatians 3. Yes, we are put. We are to put to death whatever remains in us that is earthly, Colossians 3. However, doing this does not entail the old self dying again. It is connected to renewing our minds, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. It may seem like I am nitpicking over semantics, but I believe scripture tells us that our old self has died with Christ, and now we need to live in the new self, even though we have freedom to indulge the flesh. The semantics is a matter of identity. We don't need to keep killing our old selves. It is finished. Our identity is the new self, but we need to continually renew our mind and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Um, He gives uh, the example of the sacraments, Um, and um, references the example I gave of a guy who was feeling sinful um, after he had come to Christ is kind of evidence for this. Um, Third critique, an essential point of biblical clarity is related to Tim's comment about why Jesus spoke in parables. Tim stated, why did Jesus always do parables? He wanted to incite the imagination. (laughs) Jesus did not use parables to incite the imagination. He used them so that, quote, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand, Luke 8, 10. Jesus' use of parables fulfilled prophecy in Matthew 13, 34, and he used them to obscure the truth from unbelieving people, Matthew 13, Mark 4. This is not a minor point. The fact is that those who've hardened themselves to the truth while difficulty believing no matter what they are told. We do need imagination to set our minds on things above, but life is experienced by faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, Tim's struggle uh, with why God has chosen this quote overlap time period is perplexing. Oh, it's
1: perplexing. The Bible is pretty
0: clear. (laughs) The Bible is pretty clear. We are the body of Christ who is still active in the world. The church Are the only people who have the word of life. Yes, we suffer because Jesus suffered, but like Paul, some are suffering to complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. The Apostle Peter gives a beautiful picture of why we are in between. And this is from uh, 2 Peter 3. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then when the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done in it will be disclosed. And then he ends, I'm sorry this is so long. I apologize if it comes across as judgmental. I believe we must rightly divide the word of God. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate matters. Sometimes, like Jesus' parables, the answer is right in front of us, but refuse to see it. There is a lot to discern about our life in Christ in this world. I appreciate that you are opening the dialogue. There you go. So thank you so much um, for that feedback. And I just wanted to take a moment to... um, just read it because some of you might be thinking similar things and say great um, I don't ever want to come across as someone who's needing to respond to all of that feedback um, and so I sometimes just like letting it stand kind of on its own two legs Unless is there anything you want to add Mr. <laughs> Timothy Spice no oh uh, well, yeah I, I could respond
1: to each of those things but I, I'm going to follow you and stay quiet <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, and, and let it breathe. And, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, I hope this is something of this has been helpful. The hodgepodge of the hodgepodge. Um, next week, um, Lord willing, we will begin to uh, take a look at the word faith, and um, and then that raises all sorts of questions about grace, and then that raises all sorts of questions about works. So, giddy up. Yeehaw. Uh, Yes, but man, thank you so much for all the participation in the community. We're so honored to be a part of it. Timothy, the last word resides with you. I love you all. There you have it, sports fans. Until next time, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you next time.
1: How many people turn their palms up while they're driving when you
0: are reading that? I'm hoping not a lot.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Podcast and on Instagram at voxology. Thank you Thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.